0: A Spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am delighted to be joined by Julia Yost. And Julia, you are an editor, a senior editor at First Things magazine. And you wrote an article that generated quite a lot of interest recently, which was under the headline, New York's hottest club is the Catholic Church. And you identified something that has been bubbling up a little bit in America the last few years, I think, which is that Catholicism has become sort of cool and hip, to use a very embarrassing word. It's become a, a thing in, in Brooklyn and sort of the cooler parts of New York, and it's it's seen as a bit transgressive to embrace traditional morality. Can you explain to us, bearing in mind some British listeners, mostly British listeners, what's going on?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with a little New York geography. So... Um, Catholicism is becoming supposedly transgressive or cool, not so much in Brooklyn, but actually in a little neighborhood in Chinatown, which is in downtown Manhattan called Dimes Square. Uh, And this is a little neighborhood that became very cool during the pandemic in 2020, which is when rents were low and so ambitious young people who wanted to move into Manhattan could finally afford to do so. And the cohort that gathered there, is quite young. It's Zoomer or Generation Z more than Millennial. Millennials more associated with Brooklyn. Though, of course, this is not hard and fast. There's some people in their 30s downtown. And the sensibility that has crystallized down there has been described as sort of contrarian, even transgressive, as you say. There's an openness people observe to sort of edgy right-wing ideas and personalities there's a kind of resistance or simply indifference to progressive pieties on public health during the pandemic, possibly race, but I think more so sex and gender. And with all these attitudes, one could question how much of it is really in earnest and how much of it is just a fashionable naughtiness among young people in the city. But one of the trends that this set is interested in is um, you know, an interest in even some conversions or reversions to Catholicism, uh, especially traditionalist forms of Catholicism, and so the charge is often leveled against these young people. Well, this isn't faith; it's just fashion. But as I was researching and reflecting on this trend, I found some reasons to interpret it pretty generously. Though certainly there are grounds for skepticism, and there are questions to be raised.
0: Reading your piece reminded me. I remember I used to work for a newspaper called the Catholic Herald here in Britain, and I interviewed a very traditionalist almost Lefebvreist, but not quite priest at the Brompton Oratory. And he was talking, there was a sort of similar-ish fad going on in London at the time. And I was very sort of young and sceptical. And so I said, uh, you know, isn't this just a bit of a a sort of trend? And it's not. And he said, well, why do you care if it is a trend? Which I think is interesting, because there was that reaction to your piece. There's a lot of Catholics were saying, well, they don't take it seriously. You know, they're they're more interested in doing cocaine on Saturday nights than they are going to mass on Sunday morning. But it's nonetheless very, very interesting that this has happened, because if you went to Brooklyn 20 years ago, it's impossible to imagine this happening. Am I right?
1: I think that's right. And I'm glad you brought up a a very recent historical precedent for it. One of the things that attracted me to this topic was the fact that there are a bunch of historical precedents for sort of vanguardist urban cohorts to become interested in Catholicism and That interest often turns out to be very serious and long lasting, contradicting the predictions of contemporaries who would tend to dismiss it. But you're right. Brooklyn, in its hipster heyday, nobody was posing as a Catholic like that was not a cool thing. So, I mean, something has changed. I think part of it is that uh, 15, 20 years ago, what seems like a vanguard, what seems like the cool thing to do was, you know, to be progressive, Whereas for people who are in their 20s or teens today, I think that progressivism, progressive morality, liberalism, that's really part of the kind of stifling establishment that they... It's just more interesting to punch against that. It's more subversive to subvert that. And traditional religion is a way of doing that. What I say in my piece is that I think a lot of young people find progressive moralism not just banal, because it is, but also malign, because it does, you know, by valorizing HR compliance and meritocratic achievement, it actually militates against their attainment of things that they want, like marriage and children. I mean, these are basic human goods that are harder and harder for young people to attain. And I think that if there's dissatisfaction with that arrangement, a turn away from progressivism and toward traditional religion is very consistent with that and if you're if you're young and you're interested in being with it and so on, maybe that does manifest itself in these kind of you know trendy expressions, but I don't see why that should be uh, disqualifying.
0: I mean, I suppose the reason why people are sceptical is that I think Oscar Wilde said fashion is something so ugly that it changes every 15 minutes or something like that. (laughs) And so I suppose the reason people are sceptical, Catholics are sceptical about all these trendy people showing up at masses and things is that they think that they will, you know, once lots of people get involved, they'll decide it's actually not cool anymore and they'll drift away. What's your prediction?
1: You know, it may well. I don't see I don't see any reason to tell them that they're not welcome even before that shakes out. The note on which I conclude my piece is, um, my sense is that, yeah, trends end. Catholicism is not going to be cool in downtown Manhattan forever. In fact, downtown Manhattan will not be cool forever. It isn't always. And so I think this will work itself out in individual cases. And I point out that, you know, this summer in the United States, we've had a lot of intense debate about abortion because the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs overturned Roe v. Wade after, what, 50 years? And, you know, this decision threw emphasis on the church's very strong and very important opposition to abortion. And so I give the example of um, a rosary procession from old St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is pretty close to Dimes Square, to the neighborhood Planned Parenthood. My husband attended that procession and it it attracted a lot of rowdy counter protesters and there were a lot of police. It was a very charged scene. And so I kind of raised the question, you know, how are the trendy Catholics in Dimes Square feeling about their rosaries right now? Are they still, you know, fashion accessories? And my sense, actually, from gathering some public public statements that people have made and also having private conversations is that the reaction is very various in that set. Some of these folks were really attracted by the church's pro-life witness. That's actually part of why they came to it. And others are very uncomfortable with this and are not not pleased that this is a topic of conversation. And it's something that I think might might really cool their interest and be perhaps the beginning of their drifting away from it. So I just think it will it will sort itself out differently in different cases, but it's definitely, yeah, it's it's a test of sincerity, which people will either pass or fail.
0: Well, people always fail tests of sincerity, I think. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, I suppose another interesting aspect, which you touch on in your piece, is that it's sort of coming from a left wing perspective, if that's the right way of putting it. In that, I think perhaps young people associated Catholicism with, or or just Christianity with the right before. And now it seems, as you suggest, these people are realising that Catholicism has an emphasis on social justice, it's suspicious of free market fundamentalism, and so on. And so it's cool because people don't think of it. In America, obviously, evangelical Protestantism is the dominant religion. Are they attracted to it because of they feel it's politically OK, it's not making yourself right-wing politically or economically even?
1: I think actually some people in this scene are precisely interested in the degree to which Catholicism or or sort of traddy Catholicism can be right aligned or right adjacent. However, some people in the scene are interested in a specifically left aligned or left adjacent version of Catholicism. And so I think you're right. The fact that Catholicism is adaptable, politically adaptable, it's not tied to a specific... American political dispensation in the way that evangelicalism is, I think that makes it an option for a lot of a lot of young people who maybe want a kind of boutique or exotic fusion of religion and political economy. There's just a lot of ferment, intellectual ferment around those kinds of projects in this scene. And yeah, I mean, you, you kind of see it on both sides. There's sort of right Catholics and, and left Catholics or left caths, as Twitter calls them. Yeah, so there's the political adaptability of it. It's also the case that in America, so the kind of two big challenges to the progressive mainstream come from evangelical Protestantism and the Catholic Church. Now, if you're a young person who's dissatisfied with progressivism, which of those options is available to you? <laughs> if you're you know, in the city and trying to be kind of ambitious and, and, and cool, well, you can't become evangelical without suffering a kind of class descent, whereas you can become Catholic without necessarily suffering a class descent. Catholicism is really, certainly in America, it's, it's really a religion for all classes, whereas evangelicalism is really tied to certain, not just political, but also class dispensations, and it's also tied to geography. So just the capaciousness of Catholicism, I think, is working in its favor in this context.
0: Do you think an element of American self-hatred is creeping into it? Because America has had a, always had a difficult relationship with the Catholic Church. I think Pope Leo XIII wrote this encyclical about the heresy of Americanism and that America had become an alternative religion and was therefore a kind of heresy. Is there this sort of... I mean, it's cool to people because being American is seen as being a bit cringe or something.
1: <laughs> I think there's definitely an element of that. I I would tend to identify that more with the very online left forms of traditionalist Catholicism. There may be some of it in the downtown scene as well. I I haven't documented it myself, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Being being a kind of ooh, America hating maybe left left attending Catholic is a way of you know, embracing something positive in the form of Catholicism, something, something, you know, true and real, but also having, you know, pretty ferocious critique of where you came from, which is something that a lot of young people feel they need to have, possibly for good reasons, possibly for bad reasons.
0: Well, and a lot of fashion is often to do with identifying that something that really has always existed and it's that people actually realize it always existed. So I, I'm interested that it's happening in New York. Because, of course, there always has been, uh, often quite a left-wing, left, left wing, if you like, social justice movement in New York. Dorothy Day, is, of course, is a huge figure. I wonder, is Dorothy Day somebody that these people talk about?
1: I think she is. I haven't been a party to those conversations myself, or not too many of them. But, yeah, I mean, The Catholic Worker puts out, you know, a publication, which I think does, does get passed around, actually, <laughs> downtown. It, you can certainly acquire it pretty easily. I happen to live in an apartment complex that was erected pretty much on the site of where the Catholic Worker House used to be. So, I mean, there's a pretty, pretty strong memory of of Dorothy Day. I mean, you mentioned New York, There's there's the left political activism. There's also in New York, a kind of long memory of just the way in which Catholicism and aestheticism and sort of more artistic ideas of transgression go together. You know, Andre Serrano in the nineties, that was a big story. And then the the Met put on its exhibition, Heavenly Bodies, right, in 2018, oh, yes. which was also a big big story. And, um, you're
0: talking about the Met Gala though. Is that the... Well,
1: there's, there's always a gala to open the exhibition, right. but then there's, there's an exhibition to which, you know, anybody, anybody can go. And so that exhibition showed, you know, Catholic liturgical vestments and, you know, other artifacts, very beautiful, sumptuous Catholic religious artifacts. And then also, you know, BDSM perf- paraphernalia and high fashion. You know, so there's a kind of thesis about the way in which these different phenomena influence each other, which, I mean, honestly, they have. New York is a fashionable town with lots of Catholics in it, you know, lots of Italian Catholics in it. There's a lot of cross-pollination there. And um, I also was thinking about the English decadence of the late 19th century and the way in which their, you know, very assertive, avant-garde, ornate Artificial kind of ironic theatrical aesthetics were profoundly influenced by Catholicism. And a lot of those guys converted to Catholicism and stayed converted. And it, it turned out to be a very real thing.
0: Mm. Could you take us through, for some of our listeners who are wondering what on earth we're talking about, could you take us through you know some of these terms, like trad wives is a, is a term that you use, you, left caths. These are all very online things that I think Ooh, a lot yeah. of people
1: yeah unfortunately this is a lot of this is a lot of online culture yeah I mean so maybe the left cats have been around for certainly more than five years, five or eight years probably, and they have i think a a kind of boots on the ground presence in New York in a near new york, but it's also it's also very very online, and they're just interested in reconciling left economics you know marxist economics with Catholic social teaching—you know—they tend to be, or at least purport to be, very well read in certain 19th-century papal encyclicals. You know, Leo the 13th said this about the distribution of goods, and and so on. It's honestly, it's not a discourse in which I've taken a great deal of interest, but it is—it is a very lively happening thing, and it has a lot of converts in it. You know, I think a lot of a lot of young people are actually drawn to the idea that so say the church does not only you know rage against the sin of abortion which it certainly and rightly does but it also is interested in you know well how can we redistribute material goods so that you know things are more equitable and maybe women don't need to choose abortion i mean that that's something they weren't necessarily seeing from the uh more conventional more sort of republican aligned Established Catholic Church in America, and so to see those arguments being made, I think has been actually very compelling to a lot of a lot of young people. Um, and some of these people are cradle Catholics, but a heck of a lot of them are converts. Yeah. I think yeah. you know Liz Liz Brunig, who used to write for the Washington Post and then for the Times, and now she's with the Atlantic. She's kind of a major figure for sort of socialist or left-aligned Catholics. I think she's maybe gone a bit soft in recent years, but. At least in the early going, she was a figure who really attracted a lot of people because they felt that, you know, Liz has these pretty radical ideas about economics, these Marxist influenced ideas, and she's also strongly pro-life. And so this is a a version of Christianity that seems uncorrupted and that I can really get down with. And this is this is exciting.
0: Did she, I I may be misremembering, but did she write a piece about being a trad wife or something that got? Well of. she
1: wrote a piece about this was so funny. I mean it came out in the Times, right? If we're thinking of the same piece. It was about how she, you know, got married pretty young and had her first child at the age of twenty-four or something, and it was yeah. received on oh, and and she does not regret it. And it was yes. received on Twitter as this like huge provocation. Like, oh, this career woman doesn't regret having a child at age twenty-four. And I'm thinking Twenty four is in historic perspective is not a very young age to have your first child. It just is, is such an interesting marker yes. of how the goalposts have shifted. I mean, I was I was talking earlier about the difficulty of family formation today yes. and you know, I mean, good for Liz that she that she pulled it off. You know, many many women are entering their thirties and being very concerned these days about whether they will ever have children, and you know, she she hoisted the flag, and you know, I think that's great.
0: This is an unpleasant question, but is there a slightly bitchy attitude among the people that sort of pop up and become, you know, have you noticed this with your piece, for instance, that when you do a piece explaining this phenomenon, everyone sort of says, oh, and I bet Elizabeth Bruning had the same thing, and what she obviously did, of not just the people who find it objectionable hate it, but it's the people who actually want it hate it because it's it's making it embarrassing it's making it a bit uncool they feel you're sort of embarrassing them somehow
1: it could be that they they feel it's embarrassing I think honestly I think it may be more the case that they feel shown up by it I mean so Liz she has her kind of lavishly documented you know through photographs on Twitter trad you know posh trad life and this is a great thing there's no reason she shouldn't have it but not everyone does have it. Most people cannot reconcile meritocracy and a kind of traditional bourgeois you know, home life in, in quite the way that she does. And so, you know, when it comes up in this prestige, it's you know, being kind of certified worthy of note by the paper of record, and it's being accorded all this attention and prestige. You know, I, think, I think sometimes the explicit accusation is, oh, this is really cringe. But what's really going on is people are thinking, yeah, that's what I want. Why don't I have that? Yeah. I think it's often envy rather than actually embarrassment.
0: Yeah, which is a sin after all. Yeah. Well, I asked you about whether it's about American self-loathing, and I think this is probably a connected question. Is it about, you talked a lot about how it was, it's a very online phenomenon. It's very internet-based, very social media-based. Is it connected to a rejection of individualism, which obviously online is what, social media is all about is, as everyone knows, narcissism, the self, and Catholicism is about, to, is meant to be all about the rejection, the utter rejection of the self. Do you think it's sort of people online who are sick of the narcissism that they are engaged in trying to reach for something else?
1: I think it, it's got to be really complicated, right? I'm sure there is a hunger to have more than just the kind of performative selfhood that that people achieve online. But, I also think that, in this very young generation, these digital natives it 's natural to them to be constantly performing and I was actually very interested, as I was you know thinking about this piece. I was interested in the relation between performativity and authenticity in respect of faith, because Catholics have often been accused by Protestants of being performative about their faith, and this is this is all very self conscious and mechanical. And it's, it's not Italian. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't necessarily proceed from, you know, rigorously interrogated, authentic belief. You're just going through the motions and so on. And, oh, you're just in it for the aesthetics, for the bells and smells. And my thought was, well, you know, Catholics have always responded that, you know, you, you can sort of begin with the mechanical stuff and be brought around by it, you know, through through means, you know, natural or supernatural or both, to a subjective state that is, that is more perfect, you know, a, a more perfect form of belief in which you can perform these acts and these duties more perfectly. So there's no, to me, there's no real, that's a false binary. And I just wondered whether young people who are so accustomed to performativity and who may not understand a self, a selfhood really apart from that, Could it be that a performative faith like Catholicism actually really appeals to them and is intelligible to them? I'm not confident that this is the case, but I have some hope that it may be. It's a nice thought anyway.
0: Well, finally, I'd like to ask you to do a prediction, you know, like a trend prediction. Do you think that this movement will grow and grow and grow? Do you think that uh, a new trend will emerge, Like sort of Calvinism will suddenly become hip or something like that what do you think was going to happen not just in new york but perhaps in america more broadly will it spread across america
1: i think it will not spread across america i think it's it's a niche thing it just is you know for sociological reasons i certainly do not think that you know any kind of you know trad calvinism is going to take over because calvinism is just that dreary <laughs> it's just not a very attractive i, I wouldn't
0: <laughs> underestimate calvinism I think it's it could it could do it.
1: It could, yeah. I mean Calvinism is already very strong in America in the form of low church evangelicalism. But most evangelicals most American evangelicals don't actually have a self-understanding of themselves as Calvinists. You know, it's um it, it's just a more popular form of, of the doctrine and they don't kick around the name Calvin. So there there's a sense in which it's already hugely influential. But you know, this kind of style of traditional religion in which there's just a real consciousness of, of precedents and artifacts and so on. It's kind of brainy and intellectual. That version of Calvinism does kind of exist in New York already, but it's just not, I don't think it's poised to be fashionable in quite the same way, just for all manner of reasons. But no, I, I also don't think that Dimes Square Catholicism is is going to spread. It just, um, I don't think it wants to. It's not an evangelical Form of Catholicism, it's you know, it's confined to a scene. It kind of it wants to be special, I think, and I think it's going to remain what it is. And as I said, I think you know, sooner or later that that trend will go away. (laughs) But I hope that the um, conversions don't. I hope that at least some of them stick, and I think they will.
0: Well, Julia, very interesting to talk to you. I hope perhaps we'll come back in a year and see uh, check in on the status of. uh, We will.
1: I'll keep an eye out and make a report.
0: Thank you very much, Julia. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.